In this episode of Wandering Man, I'm talking a bit about the landscape of Neath, which is a city or a town um, in South Wales near Swansea. And uh, in particular, um, there's the, there's a, a country estate on the on the edge of it, which is uh, now now a country park called the Knoll. And I talk a bit about the landscape and go on a bike ride and along the ridge. Um, and then after that, I call in at a, a small abandoned church, which used to be the parish church for Langwig Parish. Saint Cuig is the um, uh, Dark Age saint um, that it's named for. Um, and I spend some time talking about um, uh, the way that uh, people can uh, respond to the aesthetic of the church and churchyard. Um, even if they don't believe that there's anything to do with God there. I'm in the Neath Valley. I had been planning to go somewhere else, but the, that, that area was closed, so I've come here. So I've parked down the top end of the Knoll Estate on the south side of Neath. Uh, the Knoll Estate was a, a large house and gardens uh, that belonged to the Mackworth family, who uh, also owned the Copperworks that led to Neath's uh, uh, industrial expansion. Uh, and that's still, they gave it to the country park. Uh, so it still is. Um, and there's a road running up the, the side of it uh, called Fairyland Road. I'll have to do some research on exactly when that name stuck. But uh, I mentioned in one of my uh, found poems once about the fact that uh, in Neath you can see buses with the uh, signpost, sign, with a sign saying they're, they're on their way to Fairyland. You might say, in a way, that Fairyland is over, overselling it, but there's no denying on this crisp April morning, it's a pretty nice place. Um, so I'm sort of literally, sort of, uh, the road goes to the top of the ridge. I'm going to be riding my bike along the ridge in a bit and uh, see how high I get. Uh, I'm a novice rider, so um, probably not very far. But from, from this spot, uh, it's, it's quite a, a sort of a stunning view. Um, the Neath Valley, which when you're down in the middle of it, feels like it's completely enclosing. It's a big glacial valley uh, with mainly wooded slopes. Very few people live there. The settlements are all in the, in the, in the valley floor. And uh, yeah, so that's the Neath Valley. But actually, when you get to this height, you can see all the ridges around us uh, I can see all as, all as far as Cairn uh, V over in the um, in the east um, uh, up above Merthyr Tydfil and basically you can see where the where the ice sheets have planed off the tops of all the ridges so they're all very much of a muchness um, so, the, so this height I'm at which I will check but uh, it's uh, I don't know 200 feet something like that 200 meters something like that I'll, I'll, I will check um, it's uh, yeah. The basically, it's, it's one of the biggest. But there are some bigger lumps around. But um, uh, it, this, this really does give you views. And I can see over to the west. I can see all the way to Swansea Bay and, and Gower. Um, so yeah. So I suppose thinking about it, I must be seeing what's it? Twenty miles in each direction, something like that. Um, you can always be suspicious about how far you can see things. I can remember that I, said, I read a paper once, which was about. Um, reported sightings of uh, the Norwegian mountains from the Scottish coast and there's a recurrent theme that people would re report this 
and uh, <laughs> what this paper did was uh, uh, basically did, did some basic maths uh, and looking at the curvature of the Earth um, and concluded that, um, that there was absolutely no way they could possibly be seeing Norwegian mountains and what they were seeing was clouds, um, which is sort of understandable. <laughs> Um, you know, from a certain distance, they do look the same. Um, but anyway, yes, and, and of course, you know, there is that romanticism. I, I, don't, I can't think of any places near here, uh, but there are. There is a strong tradition of people getting excited about, um, particularly hills where three counties meet. Hiya! <laughs> We've got the easy bit now. Um, yeah, so you have these, this, the romanticism of, of summits of, of, of where there are three, three counties or four counties meeting at one point, as if there's something magical about it. Um, but as I say, uh, I don't know whether the boundaries have changed too much around here, um, but you don't really get that. It's, it's the only real work to way you tell if you're going over a boundary, is either there's a big sign, or else there's a change in the, the way the roadworks have been prioritised. But... Uh, yeah, you can probably just hear, I'll be quiet for a minute. You can hear that distant roar, that's the cars on the on the valley's road. So that's about ooh, half a mile, three quarters of a mile away from here. So I assume it's being sort of uh, trapped by the valley, channeled up here. But specifically what I'm looking at, sort of, yeah, that although we're on the summit, it is actually enclosed land here, pasture. There's a, a, a well-defined... Roman fort um, here with a, a bank about uh, a metre high, um, rectangular, about 300 metres by 100 metres, uh, conveniently used as a platform for a, um, for a pylon. So yeah, you can hear, I assume that Skylarks had robins on the way up, um, wagtails. But yeah, that sounds like skylarks, doesn't it? Can't see them. Of course, they're much less impressive when you see them, <laughs> generally speaking. Um, Specialisation, I suppose that's the thing. So yeah, um, so this is, it happens to be an area where I've, I've studied the archaeology for a while. Um, there's a, a gas pipeline that runs uh, along the ridge here and I did a preliminary survey of the route to check to see whether there were things like the Roman Fort in the way um, so that they could wiggle the route to, uh, to avoid damaging it where possible. Um, and so, yeah, so this is, you know, as, as, as a conventional story here in Wales. So we've got um, the uplands being used in the, in the prehistoric period. Um, uh, so we've got the Roman fort, but very little else in terms of Roman... Oh, there's a buzzer just coming over. When I used to live here um, when we first moved to Wales, and uh, we got used to... There were about three buzzards who used to fly up and down the Neath Valley, um, calling to each other. Um, we got, got to know them quite well. Um, uh, and then it was a surprise to us, you know, sort of uh, when we discovered... when. Uh, Gradually, actually, buzzards have become much less common um, as, as kites have, uh, have uh, uh, sort of reclaimed uh, territories. But yeah, so that, that was a buzzard that just flew past. Um, anyway, yeah, so... <coughs> sorry. So, medieval period, 
Um, you've got the, the Neath Abbey, was a Sturgeon Abbey, which basically owned all the land around here. Um, and they used the uplands for their for their sheep. Um, they they were very involved in the in the wool trade. That was their main source of income. Uh, and there were big disputes between uh, Neath Abbey and Margam Abbey, which is on the owned the land to the south. And uh, uh, that, as, as I recall, that there were occasions when that turned into actual uh, um, sort of uh, fighting <laughs> between the two abbeys about uh, who's got access to the pastures. Um, uh, and uh, there are associated with the sort of looking after the sheep, there are sort of platforms from uh, uh, temporary sheep shelters, uh, shepherd shelters, um, and that was another sub project I was, I was involved in looking at those, um, although there aren't very many here. Um, uh, and then in the post medieval period, so this is essentially an industrial place, although it's, it's nice and agricultural now, um, a lot of quarrying, uh, coal mining. Um, and I say copper making, so um, this would have been a, an intensely active area. There's still one uh, large surface mine um, in operation, uh, sorry, a deep mine, um, uh, at the top of the valley. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's deceptively peaceful and green at the moment. I've now come about five miles or so along the forestry track. Um, the, the roads turn into a farm track and then after about half a mile turn into a forestry track and then we just, that's just been following the, the ridge eastwards. Um, and so I've got to the edge of the forestry now and it's just opening out into open mountain. Uh, you can probably just hear in the background the gentle swoosh of the wind turbines. Uh, it's a wind farm, uh, which is uh, there's a, the, the, the mountains here are about uh, 100 meters higher than than, than where, where where I am, and uh, I think that's a wind wind farm that uh, I did some survey work for before it was built. Um, uh, again, as as with the other sites, uh, having going around having a look at the. Uh, the ground to see if there's any any archaeological remains that needs to be uh, avoided. Um, so, I mean, as as well as it's true of all the landscapes, but particularly, uh, you know, when you've been with a while, you know, that was 30 years ago that uh, I was doing that, <clears throat> and so, you know, that as, as well as you know, tra travelling through, through space here in the journey, there's also all these different layers of time which I think is what um, uh, Chris Torrance was trying to get at really with his um, uh, sort of uh, poem cycle The Magic Door um, that idea that uh, there's all these different uh, layers of meaning built into the landscape um, which is both sort of individual and you know sort of more broadly that of the community and the culture and the, uh, the geology and everything else Um, the most exciting thing that happened when I was coming through the forestry was that uh, there was a deer on the track that, uh, that ran away when I came close. Um, I think that's about it really. I mean for an hour of <coughs> cycling through trees, um, that's not very much and I know one of the 
major criticisms of the forestry planting in Wales was that the uh, um, by planting all the same trees it's a very non-diverse <laughs> habitat and therefore it's not actually um, very good for um, all the other species um, uh, to occupy. Uh, it it tends, tends to be monoculture. I know they've moved away from that now in terms of their planting strategy um, but these are waiting to be felled. I suppose they'll be going to, coming down fairly soon. Um, I think I've talked before about the, uh, the sort of lunar landscape you get when the trees have been felled. Um, it really just does look terrible. <laughs> um, so although you might say, well, actually growing trees is a, um, you know, a benign activity, um, it is sort of industrial. Um, and certainly in terms of sort of living with it in the environment, it's not uh, necessarily wholly positive. Yeah, you can hear the wishing there. Uh, yeah, so I suppose we're about, must be about a mile or so south of the, uh, or maybe a bit further south of, from, the, uh, from the road, which is why you can't hear it anymore. And I'm going to have to decide <coughs> in a minute whether I fancy uh, climbing up to uh, where the wind turbines are um, to carry on on the uh, summit route. Um, and I think probably not is the answer. Um, so far, um, the route's gone up and down a bit, which is fine. Um, but I don't really fancy climbing a massive hill. Um, I'm not... Uh, uh, I haven't reached that sort of masochistic stage in terms of uh, uh, my cycling. I'm now at Clanguig uh, Church, which is um, a small church, uh, it's about five miles away from where I live. Um, it used to be Clanguig Parish, Clanguig Parish used to be enormous, stretched for miles and miles. Um, uh, it w when, well, before, before industry, before settlements, um, this was essentially an upland area with very few people in it, um, and so it was a. Uh, so the parish was small and served a large area, small community. Um, the church is now, uh, um, what's the word, disused, and it's been turned into a sort of a meeting centre, um, and it's uh, just occupies a very quiet spot just above Pontadawi. Uh, you can probably just hear. The occasional sound of uh, golfers, uh, the golf course runs up to it. But, uh, yeah. So here it's, it's quiet apart from the birds. <clears throat> There's a Philip Larkin poem called Church Going, which um, explores his strange taste as an atheist for visiting churches and churchyards. Um, and uh, he concludes, I think, that oh, you got it's a nice echo from the uh, the porch here, isn't it? You just make out, uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, that it's uh, um, 
you know, there is something sort of morally improving, I suppose, about visiting churches and graveyards. Because um, that idea is also like, you know, this, this church is a, it's an old stumpy little church, it doesn't look impressive, um, but it goes back a long way. Um, there's, a, there's an inscription here, I'll just read it. Uh, this church was new roofed and considerably altered. AD 1812, uh, David Jones and John Willis, church wardens. So yeah, so 1812, yeah, 200 years ago, <laughs> they were um, re-roofing it. Um, the church itself, uh, I can't get inside because it's, it's locked up, but uh, I believe the church, church building goes back to um, probably 1200. 1100 <clears throat> so you know that's a long time for people to keep coming here and that's the point of Larkin's poem is saying is saying something that uh, um, the fact that people have been coming to a place and thinking serious thoughts for hundreds of years does do something to that place um, you know regardless of what you believe or don't believe um, yeah so I mean I, I suppose I would say, you know, I sort of, I'm, I'm interested in the history rather than the theology of it, perhaps. Put it like that. Oh, we've got a plane coming over. Um, it's all, it's all, all go today. Um, oh, it's a helicopter. Um, yeah, so the churchyard is actually um, one of those, uh, well, it's very full for a start. <laughs> Um, full of gravestones, which are, and they're all very uneven and uh, sort of leaning at different angles. Some of them are overgrown with ivy, um, and some of them are very spotted with lichen. And you get you really get a feeling that this this is you know there's been people buried here for a long time. Uh, and certainly, if you look at some of the inscriptions, you know go, go easily go back into the 1800s, um, and there's some that can't read very clearly but so you suspect go back oh there's a 1760 there um, and that and, and then of course um, the habit the, the the fashion for having big gravestones um, doesn't really come in till about 1700 or so um, and so this is this is probably where people have been buried as I say since the church was was in use um, and it's interesting that I was just driving up here that there's a lot of footpaths which end up here because presumably, of course, a lot of people would have spent a, spent all their Sundays uh, walking enormous distances uh, in order to get to church uh, every now and then. Um, you know, sort of hours and hours. Um, and so, yeah, there is that. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm tempted to say that there's a serious point about that. Well, you know, say that um, people coming to do that serious thing um, you know, and the effort they put into it, um, and the fact people have been doing it for so long, um, does do what uh, what Larkin says it happens. Um, it creates a meaning, regardless of the uh, of whether there's any wider communication. Oh, that's a very noisy pair up there, isn't it? Oh dear. I can see it. Is there a Robbie? Um, <clears throat> So, um, 
yeah, I'm tempted to say that, but I suppose, you know, just thinking about it, I mean, if you, if you did the same argument about saying, well, what about a football stadium? You know, lots of people go there every week um, and go to enormous efforts to go there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, some of them are doing it for 100 years or more. Um, does that do the same? Mm, I'm not convinced. I think the... Um, you have to... I think you have to have some concept that there is a sort of a dialogue with a greater spirit um, in order to sort of create that special status. But um, but I suppose the thing that I mean, I suppose again, think of the theme of um, you know the, the the length of time that places have been in use is that um, you know when when this tower is an odd little stumpy tower, which is slightly the angles are slightly weird. Um, they're not quite vertical. Um, you know, this tower was built at a, the, the, this ta this the tower is the oldest thing that we with it for miles, um, probably twenty miles in any direction. Um, is there anything equally old um, that you know outside this very narrow church and churchyard? There have been all sorts of changes coming and going. Um, you know, sort of outside, um, but it's still there. Um, so not not unchanged, but at least continuous. Notice in the churchyard there is a a yew tree. You know, there's that tradition that um, they planted yew trees on purpose in churchyards because. Um, Yew is poisonous to, to cattle, and so farmers are reluctant to have yew trees anywhere else. But you need yew trees to make bows out of, and of course, Welsh longbows are very important as a piece of military equipment. Um, I couch it like that because um, it's one of those convenient stories. Um, yes, there are a lot of yew trees in churchyards. Um, and I suppose you could argue that, that if there was one there, um, there wouldn't be any pressing needs to remove it because you wouldn't expect cattle to get into the churchyard. Um, but that's not quite the same. <laughs> you're, you're joining two dots there. Um, one of the weird things about looking at a sort of churchyard, uh, perhaps people don't do it as much as I do, <laughs> is that... Um, uh, there's, you know, the, the, the modern style of, of, of sort of very shiny church, uh, you know, sort of polished, polished marble. Um, it's actually very hard to to look at, the, you know, at a glance to see what, how old, guess how old they are. Um, you know, some of them look, you know, they look brand new, and you look at them, and they've actually been there for twenty years. And of course, that's partly to do with how people look after them. Um, today is, well, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Uh, it's in Wales, this is called Sila Blodai, which is uh, Flower Sunday. And there's a tradition that um, on Palm Sunday, uh, Sila Blodai, uh, everybody goes to visit their, their family graves um, and tidy up the gravestones and to leave flowers. And, you know, although this is now say, an abandoned church, um, that there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
yeah so there's there's eight of these graves which have had fresh flowers placed on them um, uh, within the last few days ready for tomorrow so there is that continuity I must admit I mean it's you know people's attitude to to graves and gravestones um, is sort of is, is different some people love the idea so oh well I know you know I want to come and visit it and so on. and there's other people who don't mind at all uh, certainly I'm I'm more don't mind sort of person uh, I don't think um, out of anything I might want to do about remembering a, a relative I don't think going to visit a grave would would feature and in fact there aren't very many um, relevant ones that have got graves um, we've got gone more down the scattering ashes route um, but I suppose that's partly because um, you know sort of that having a family that's sprinkled to the four winds um, you know it's, it's not it's not like there's a place where everybody goes and is convenient for everybody um, but yeah I mean, earlier when I, was, I was outside another graveyard and so there were families turning up to come and you know do the flowers for their grave um, you know as a very much a family outing uh, which is a nice idea I think um, It's one of the obviously it's one of these traditions that survived. Well, certainly it's, it survived the sort of downturn in people's uh, actual belief in Christianity. Um, I think it's one of these rituals that will survive um, because it meets a, a a need that people have for commemoration. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, so it's a nice spot here, and in fact, what I'm planning at some point, um, when when the um, when it's reopened as a venue, maybe coming here to hold a writing retreat, because I think uh, you could easily get people inspired um, by the setting and that sense of separation. Because when you're, you're trying to create a, well, trying to promote creative activity, one of the things you need to do is to sort of turn, create create a sort of a, 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 a sort of like a magic circle almost, uh, uh, where you're focused specifically on on that, where normal rules don't apply, um, but you're open to doing things you wouldn't normally do. This is uh, an extract from Church Going by uh, Philip Larkin. Uh, there's a full version of the poem uh, read by Philip. Um, available on YouTube. Once I'm sure there's nothing going on, I step inside, letting the door thud shut. 
another church, matting, seat and stone, and little books, sprawlings of flowers cut for Sunday, brownish now, some brass and stuff up at the holy end, a neat, sm small neat organ and a tense, musty, unignorable silence, brewed God knows how long. Hatless, I take off my cycle clips in awkward reverence. That's the first verse. And the last verse. A serious house on serious earth it is, in whose blent air all our compulsions meet, are recognised and robed as destinies, and that much never can be obsolete, since someone will forever be surprising a hunger in himself to be more serious, and gravitating with it to this ground, which, he once heard, was proper to grow wise in, if only that so many dead lie around. As I say, it's worth, worth hearing him, him read it himself. Um, and uh, it's, an, it's, a, well, it's a characteristic of, of, of his poems. I remember that um, Kingsley Amis, uh, he sent, sent, a, sent it to uh, Kingsley Amis when he wrote it, and um, Amis replied, he, he, was, he wasn't sure about blent, which is a, an obscure version of the word blended, so in whose blent air all our compulsions meet. Um, I think this is one of those rare occasions where um, that Larkin is, is using a word that fits, um, uh, which he would not otherwise naturally choose. Um, so I would agree with Amos saying that's a slight weakness. But um, yeah, obviously, yeah, I think the key thing is that you know, he's recognising, you know, that why it is that uh, um, that you know you can be so thoroughly interested in Anglican architecture um, and the sort of the, the the fitting out of a church, um, even if you have no particular um, belief and there's anything special about it. Um, well, at least not that the people don't. There's things as special as what the people bring. This is a short history of Fairyland, as far as I can uh, work it out. <coughs> it's uh, there is, the reason why buses say they're going to Fairyland is that it's actually been used as a name for a part of uh, um, local authority housing that was built in the 1950s um, so, um, so it's, which in turn takes its name from Fairyland Road um, although it's uh, some distance away. Uh, Fairyland Road um, is uh, named after a cottage called Fairyland, two separate words, um, that was there in 1841. It was part of the main uh, sort of Knoll estate and uh, nobody's listed as being an occupant so it's not clear whether that is a, um, uh, it was a, an actual cottage that was occupied by someone, or well, usually occupied by someone but vacant at the time, um, or whether it was actually a folly of some sort. Um, but that building uh, doesn't seem to exist anymore. Um, so in terms of who named it Fairyland, uh, I think we have to guess that it was uh, part of the Knoll estate. Um, they do have various grottos and things on, on the on the on the estate, so it's quite likely that they uh, um, uh, provided the name as a um, uh, as a as a joke, <laughs> creating creating the legend. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, as I say, it's interesting that that sort of that name is name is stuck 
um, and been spread um, so there are people who have to put it down as their address um, or indeed as with buses.